We read this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and reading verses 1 through 9, God's call. Trust you have responded to the call of God, and if not, today could be the day that you say yes to Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end. Blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you would open up this word to us today. Help us to to hear your call to us, O God. And give us the grace to say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to live my life for you. For as many days or months or years as you give, may I hear, O God, from you that word one day, well done. A good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Darcy Clayson was watching television one day with her three-year-old daughter, Emily. And on the news, it describes someone who was well-known who had died. And Emily's immediate reaction was to ask the question, is he going to heaven? Three-year-old little girl. When her mom explained that he would go to heaven if he knew Jesus as his Savior... Emily proceeded to ask the same question of every family member she could think of. When they die, are they going to go to heaven? Well, not to be left out, Emily added, You know what, Mom? I talked to Jesus on the phone the other day, and I asked him to come into my heart. Her mother said, That's great, Emily, but how did you know his number? And her reply was very simple, yet profound. She said, he called me. (laughs) He called me. As you read through our text for today, you can see that this little girl was right, wasn't she? It is God who has come to seek and to save the lost. It is God who calls to us. You can't miss it in this passage of Scripture because Paul emphasizes this over and over. Verse 1, he says that he was called as an apostle. In verse 2, he describes the believers in Corinth as saints by calling. Verse 9, he says that they were called into fellowship with Jesus. In fact, you will notice four times in these nine verses, Paul talks about the call of God. 
So have you responded to God's call? You don't need to know his number. (laughs) He will call you and you need to say yes to Jesus. There's three things I want us to notice this morning about God's calling. Notice, first of all, that God calls us to salvation by his grace. The first thing he says as he writes this letter to the church at Corinth, Paul says that he was called as an apostle of Jesus. Now, we might just want to skip over that and get to the message to this church, but we better not do that. We really need to pause and take a look at this because this is really an amazing statement. If there was ever a man who walked the face of this earth who would be the least likely person to become a Christian, let alone an apostle, I think we'd have to say it was this man, this Saul of Tarsus, whom we know as the Apostle Paul. His Jewish friends would have said that would never happen, that Paul would follow Jesus. Believers in Christ during the first century church, if you would have told them that that Saul of Tarsus is going to become a believer in Jesus and be called as an apostle, they would say, you are nuts. Paul himself. Where was he when he met Jesus? He was on the road to Damascus gathering believers in Christ in order that he might persecute them. I don't think the day that he met Jesus, that he got up that day and said, today is the day I am going to surrender my life to Christ. That would be the last thing on his mind. And yet, God called him. God met him in a mighty way, a powerful way, and dramatically changed his life, and it was all because of the grace of God. You read Paul's epistles over and over again. He marvels. That God would have saved him. That God would have called him. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 1 Timothy chapter 1, he describes himself as formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet he says, I was shown mercy and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. Not just abundant. It was more than abundant. It's like, how can I describe how awesome it is what God did for me? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of His power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given. So Paul never boasted about his calling. He never boasted at all about his salvation because he knew that it was only by the grace of God. Paul, called to be an apostle by God's wonderful grace. Now, maybe you're tempted to say, well, it's obvious this man needed God's grace. I mean, he was a horrible man. He was a persecutor. He was a blasphemer. But I'm clearly not as bad as as he was. And yet, when it comes to salvation, you and I, we are no different than him. 
We are absolutely no different than Him because we have all sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And it's not just the things that we've done wrong. We are by nature sinful and unclean. We have a rebellious heart that wants to go its own way and do its own thing. But we can praise God that in Jesus Christ, He took our sin all the way to the cross and He offers to us today that mercy and grace in Jesus. In verse 4, Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you, Corinthians, for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. And so if he, if God was able to change the heart of a man like Saul of Tarsus, Paul says he can change your heart too. First Timothy 1.16, he says, For this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, as the worst, Jesus might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in Him for eternal life. So I wonder, have you experienced the the grace of God like little Emily? Have you heard the call of Jesus? (laughs) Have you answered that call? Have you said, Lord Jesus, I, I need You as my Lord and my Savior? God calls us to salvation by His grace. But then secondly, notice that God calls us to fellowship with His people. You see, when we come to know Jesus as our Savior, we have a personal relationship with Him, right? He dwells within us. He comes to make His abode in us. And so we have that daily relationship with Christ. But we need to understand that the Christian life isn't just about Jesus and me. Some people look at it that way. I've got my thing with God. I don't need anybody else. You know, I can worship God on my own. It is not about Jesus and me. When you come to know the Lord, it's Jesus and we, right? Well, that's not my original statement. I read that, but I thought it was good. It's not just Jesus and me. It's Jesus and we, right? Because when you come to know the Lord, you are brought into a spiritual family. A family of God, right? And we need that family. And notice how Paul emphasizes this in verse 2. He addresses to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Notice how he, he emphasizes that, right? He is our Savior. He is our Lord Jesus. And we share in that fellowship by faith in Christ as part of the family of God. In the fellowship of the church, those who know Jesus, we have all that we need. And notice how Paul describes that. He says, in everything, verse 5, you were enriched in Him, in all speech, And in all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly for the revelation of Jesus. Every time you see the pronoun you, Y-O-U, in these verses, it's plural. 
So Paul isn't speaking here to individual Christians. He is speaking to the church as a whole. And he is saying that in the church, we have all that we need. We don't lack in any way in the body of Christ. One author says it is important immediately to point out that these statements are about the church of God at Corinth, not about individual believers. If we are to know the fullness of God's blessing, if we are to experience all the gifts of His grace which are ours in Christ, it has to be together in fellowship. So those who claim to know the Lord and love the Lord and want nothing to do with the fellowship of God's people, there is something wrong. Something wrong. You become part of a family. The family of God. And you want to be a part of that family because you need one another. We need each other. I remember many years ago, I was serving my seminary internship and there was a couple that came to visit our congregation and so I went and visited them. And as we were talking a little bit, the the, the husband said this. He said, I don't really know that we would fit in your church. And I said, well, they've been there one Sunday, one service. I don't know if it was my sermon or whatever. But he said, I don't think we'd fit in your church. And I said, well, why is that? And here's what he said. He said, because my wife and I, we have all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if he saw my jaw drop to the floor, but... So you don't need the body of Christ, what you're saying. You don't need all the other gifts ministering to one another because you are the body. You're the whole body then, right? They couldn't have been more wrong. Thinking that they didn't need the congregation. They didn't need others because they had all the gifts of the Spirit. They didn't lack in any way. They were the church. Just those two. They were missing out. On what God would want to do through the body of believers. Now, this is not to say that the church is perfect. If you are familiar with the book of Corinthians, you know that the church in Corinth was far from perfect. And we see that right in the first chapter, verse 10. Paul says, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be made complete in the same mind and same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by close close people that there are quarrels among you. Now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that there would ever be quarrels among the people of God? You can imagine that, can't you? Yeah, I know we can imagine that because we've probably all experienced. Which is to say... There is no perfect congregation. When I joined this church 20 years ago, I made it a not, not a perfect congregation. There's no perfect congregation, right? Because there's no perfect believer. We all struggle in, in various ways. Yet, these people had been called by God. They had experienced God's grace. The Holy Spirit was working in their midst and they needed one another to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And that is why God places us in fellowship with other people because we need them. 
Do you realize that? We need one another. To be in fellowship with God's people means that we are not alone in this world. We don't face life all by ourselves. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. And that's why we need each other. Dennis Fisher in Our Daily Bread says, Not long ago, my wife Janet and I accepted an invitation to go and have supper with a lady that attended their Sunday school class. And they said in her zeal to prepare a meal for us, she cut her finger deeply, had to go to the hospital. And so they went along with her, waited in the emergency room for hours. Has that ever happened before? On occasion. And so finally they got all sewed up and then they went home. Now some would say their fellowship was interrupted by this. Oh no. They, that woman experienced real fellowship, didn't she? Because they were there in her time of need. They ministered to her when she needed them. That's fellowship, right? We need each other. To be in fellowship with God's people means that we don't become bitter against someone who disappoints us. Right? We don't hold grudges in the family of God. If we've been wronged by someone, we forgive them. And if we don't forgive them, we don't understand what it means to be family. You look at your own family, brothers and sisters. Did your brother or sister ever wrong you? Maybe once or twice, huh? What do you do, kick him out of the family? No. Might get a spanking from mom and dad, but you still love them, right? Because you're family. We are family. And that's how we treat one another. And as family, we use the gifts that God has given to us to serve one another. At Heritage Christian Academy, we've chosen 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11 as our scripture for this year. Verse 10 of that passage says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's why we are here to serve one another. Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together, as some are in the habit of, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching. I want to say something to our confirmation students. Confirmation is not graduation, okay? There's a difference. Graduation means, okay, I've, I've, I've satisfied these requirements and now I'm done and I move on. You don't move on. Well, maybe to another class. But you don't graduate from the church. You don't say, okay, now I, I, I've, I've done my duty and I can just go to live the way I want to live. No, you're part of a family. I want you to stay. I want you to grow and be nurtured and, and encouraged. So God calls us. To salvation, He calls us into fellowship. And then thirdly, God calls us to live in view of His return, in view of His coming. So here Paul moves from the past and the present to the future. And what's in store for us in the future? Verse 7, you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly, the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
God is faithful through whom we were called into fellowship with his son. So we await the day when Jesus comes again. The revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the day when we will receive our inheritance. Peter says an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So so we don't have yet all that, that God has in store for us. We will when Jesus comes again. And that inheritance is a lot different than an earthly inheritance, isn't it? An earthly inheritance can fade away. How many of you watched your 401k take a big dip a few months ago? thought, whoa, there goes my kid's inheritance. <laughs> but then when the market came back, I thought, I'm going to spend that. And they won't have it anyhow. <laughs> An earthly inheritance can absolutely fade away, but not what we await in glory. Undefiled will not fade away. How about this? The revelation of Jesus is the day when we receive a new body. (laughs) A body that is like that of Jesus' body. Now, you young people, you say, big deal. I don't need a new body. Look at mine. I'm, you know, strong and healthy. Look around at some of the rest of us and you'll see what bodies are like when you get older. They're not as strong and healthy. And we await that day. Us older people, the older we get, the more we long for a new body. And that will happen to you too. So don't uh, snicker at us, old people. And then Paul tells us something else. He says that will happen. He said, we will, we will stand before God blameless. He will also confirm you to the end blameless. In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word blameless means that there will be nothing about us to reprove or condemn. Not only will our sins be forgiven, we will no longer struggle with a sinful nature. Won't that be a wonderful thing? Oh, the battle that goes on day by day with our sinful nature. The temptations that come our way. And when we fall, when we fail. Just think. Never struggle with that again. Stand before Him blameless. And Paul tells us that we can be sure of all this because God is faithful to His Word. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. I remember my son David, our second born I had a motorcycle back in the 80s. Can you picture me on a motorcycle? My hair just blowing in the breeze. And, you know, it was, it was fun. And I gave our oldest, Sarah, our daughter, a ride. And David was standing by the window in the house, straining to see when Dad was going to come back, when it would be his turn. And I thought, boy, what a picture of waiting for Jesus. Just straining and longing and eagerly awaiting. When Jesus comes again. That ought to be our experience today. And if you know Jesus, if you've been called and responded to that call, I can tell you the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And what a day that will be. If you don't know Jesus, then He's calling you today. And if you will answer His call, then you can face life today and the future 
with confidence. I read an interesting story about an aged lady from Buffalo, New York. She was on a boat headed for Cleveland, Ohio to visit a daughter. And there was a terrible storm that came and everyone was just frantic and she just sat there as calm as could be, praising the Lord in the midst of the storm. And after the storm subsided, they gathered around her and said, how could you, in the midst of this storm, be so at peace? They just did not understand. And she said, well, children, she's an older lady, well, children, it's like this. She said, I had two daughters. One died and went to heaven. The other moved to Cleveland. When the storm arose, she said, I wonder which daughter I might visit first, the one in Cleveland or the one in heaven. And I was quite unconcerned as to which. (laughs) Isn't that great? That's the way believers in Jesus can face life, right? I might end up in Cleveland, she said. I might end up in glory. Either one. Let God's will be done. When you know Jesus, your future is secure because He is faithful. He will save you by His grace. He will strengthen you in the fellowship of His people. And He will receive you into glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy, your call to serve you, to love you, to follow you, to walk with you, to be involved in the fellowship of your people, and then one day, when you come again, to stand before you, blameless because of the blood of Jesus. Oh God, thank you for all that you have done. And may you receive all the glory, all the praise for that which you've accomplished this day. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.